Vegas Nation is sponsored by Station Casino's STN Sports. Download the app today and get a bonus up to $100 when you sign up. You're listening to Vegas Nation. It's time for Takeaways with me, Heidi Fang. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Takeaways edition of the Vegas Nation podcast. This is your host, Heidi Fang, today joined by Ryan Sakamoto, beast writer. He handles all play-by-play breakdowns, all the film you want to watch. He's got that for you. You can follow on Twitter at Beast Rider. Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. It's good to get you back on. Last time we talked, I think it might have been right around training camp or something uh, last year. And here we are heading into another year. Raiders draft in the books. First, before we get into anything more, I know schedule releases today. It's a huge day, but we're going to get into more of the nuts and bolts right now of this team, not so much the schedule. So my first question to you is, what were your initial thoughts after the Raiders draft and especially how they did in the first and second round? Um, You know, I, I can see after talking to people internally within the Raiders organization and then also hearing from, you know, scouts around the league, you know, you can really understand why they picked Tyree Wilson. Um, obviously, Peter King was in the war room. He said three quarterbacks need to take off the board for them to get a guy in that cluster that um, that I talked about earlier on. Um, I didn't think that they thought that Monty Austin Fort would trade back up to six to get Paris Johnson, even though there was talk that he would go at number three. So I think once Paris Johnson was off the board, that left a gaping hole there for them to take take the next best player available at a position of need. And, you know, some people I spoke with believe he can be the next Miles Garrett. So um, when you have that type of feedback from people who are in the know, that has to be really positive. And again, people talk about that list Frank foot injury that he has. And um, what I was told is, you know, that's one of the reasons why he came in for a pre-draft visit, right? Is not only to test the guy's character, but see how injuries play a role in potentially drafting that player. So when he came in for a pre-draft visit, I think they were okay enough with the foot. And if there's any questions or doubt on that foot, they would not have drafted him. So again, um, my hat's off to the Raiders for sticking to their guns, not listening to the noise, including myself, because <laughs> I wanted, uh, of course, Peter Skaronsky, but um, I thought that Paris Johnson was their guy and ultimately they rolled with Tyree Wilson. So I like that pick. I liked how they like got Michael Mayer, a tight end. You know, I covered Jimmy Garoppolo back in San Francisco and they really have a security blanket there down the seams. And by giving him a tool that he can work with in Michael Mayer, that's just going to be a good red zone threat and between the 20. So um, when you look at the first two picks, I think they hit it out of the ballpark in their opinion. And you can't you can't knock them for that. Right. Especially I like the idea of Michael Mayer being a part of this team. And like you said, you know, he was originally projected up in the first round, like kind of late. Um, a lot of people are calling him mini Gronk, baby Gronk, something like that. What do you see about him that would be some reasons to give him that name? You know, he's like a complete tight end, right? When you look at his size, you know, you can't coach size. You can't coach height. I mean, look at me. I'm only five foot five. I wish I was a five foot eight. I mean, <laughs> that's <laughs> that'd be really tall for me. Uh, I, I, understandably so. But, you know, when you look at Michael Mayer, he brings all the tools that you need for the position and what Coach McDaniels brings to the table in terms of what he wants from the inline blocking tight end. You know, if you don't block, you don't play. And again, if you don't, it's like in the game of basketball, if you don't play defense, odds are you're not going to be playing for a coach that wants you to play on both ends of the court. So same thing applies with Michael Mayer. He's tough. He's physical. When I asked him during his presser, 
um, shortly after he was drafted, you know, on what he brings to the table coming from a basketball background. He talks about spacing and how he likes to just drive people into the ground or in his words, into the dirt. So, you know, you see a tough, physical, nasty tight end who not only doubles up as a wide receiver down the seams as the Y, but then he also can be an in nice inline blocker and help out the offensive tackles in a bind because, as you know, they play in the AFC West and he can chip edge rushers off the line of scrimmage and then go into his routes. So he's very smart and savvy that way. So I'm really excited for what he brings to the table. Right. And especially because he has some big shoes to fill in replacing Darren Waller. Foster Moreau obviously signed with the Saints. Uh, good for him to be able to do that with all that he's going through as well. Uh, they also have O.J. Howard now and Austin Hooper, who are interesting in their own because, like you were talking about with blocking, that's more of an O.J. Howard asset from what I've seen. And then you look at Austin Hooper, and he's pretty savvy when he gets on the field with what he's able to do and, and learning. Uh, he's been a, few diff- a couple different teams now that I remember. And you, you can see that he's had the ability to pick up those systems from team to team. What do you think he brings to the table, not just in terms of to the field, but in terms of also being able to coach along someone like a Michael Mayer? Yeah, man, you hit on the nail. Like you took the words right out of my mouth. So I'm going to piggyback on what you just said. Like you hit it literally on the nail. Like I was going <laughs> to say from a coaching player dynamic. Uh, so, you, you know, you basically took the words out of my mouth. I think that's what, there's, there's a there's always a why to the what, right? We all know who was signed. We all know why they were signed in terms of on-field production. But what's the why behind that? Why they were signed from an off-field production? And I think when you talk about off-field production, you're talking about coaching, leadership, how to handle a locker room, how to be a professional both on and off the football field, what you're doing in the community. These are things that coming in as a rookie, you really don't know because what you don't know, you don't know. And so again, for... Michael Mayer to have two guys and two veterans who've been around the league and who actually understand the game for what it really is and kind of seeing what the Raiders are trying to build here at 1475 Raider way. It's only going to help Michael Mayer's growth. And and anytime you can kind of get tutelage to where a guy doesn't feel threatened for his job, because they already know that, Hey, I was brought in to do a certain job and help bringing Michael Mayer up because they ain't draft a guy in the second round to trade up in the second for him to ride the pine. So I think knowing that in the iron sharpens iron mentality, that's always going to raise up the positional unit room, whatever that case may be in this, in this case, it's the tight ends. All right, let's move on to what happened with defense with this team in the draft, uh, specifically with defensive tackle, looking at Byron young, uh, what he might bring to the table. And of course, during uh, the, period where they're able to bring in guys undrafted free agents there have been some names as well that the Raiders have added to the roster um but I'm particularly interested in Byron Young uh what did you see out of him on film especially because I know he hails from a college that you always rep a beanie for (laughs) Alabama so let's uh get into what first of all I, I know a lot of people went on the value side of this one saying that he was a little bit overdrafted because he had been projected in some cases down in the hundreds, but here he comes up for the Raiders at 70. You know, um, what were your thoughts just on him as a player? You know, this was a, it wasn't a very top heavy draft. You know, I only had 16 round one grades going into this draft. So again, if you're a GM and you're trying to find value for your team, odds are you kind of want to get a safer play in those third to fourth round simply because you know a lot of these players would otherwise be drafted in the fourth and fifth round so like you just pointed out 
he was projected to be a fourth or fifth round pick. But at the end of the day, what he's coming from is his background, right? He's coming from Alabama. He's coming from a good coaching program. Um, he displays fundamentally stack and shed fundamentals that coach Graham covets using the lockout arm game, locking horns before shortly disengaging and excuse me, identifying the ball carrier. So in order to do that from box to spill, you have to understand the leverage game. He does a really good job at that. So there's little to no coaching in that aspect. You know, I talk about it with my guy, Andre Carter, who coached up obviously Neil Farrell over at LSU. And he talks mm-hmm. about how down in the trenches, it's all about winning the leverage game. And so he says it's not rocket scientist to be really good in winning the leverage game. You just have to play with a lower pad level and, and know where the play is going. And that's based on film study, right? So when you look at a guy like Byron Young and where they got him, I honestly like the pick. I gave it a grade of a B simply because I like what he brings in a first and second down base uh, defensive standpoint. Now, again, you're going to have to find a, a role for him. You know, when Brandon Yergin and and when Dewan Daniels and GM Dave Ziegler and Champ Kelly and uh, Lenny McGill, when they all went ahead and, and Sean Hirock, when they all went into the war room, they had a they had a vision and a plan. Anytime you draft a guy, you have to know what his role is. You know, you can't just say this guy plays defensive tackle. Is he a one gap guy? Is he a two gap guy? And again, with Byron Young, he's very versatile. You know, he can play the piano along the line. And that's one thing I, when I asked him when he was drafted was, what did you do best? at Alabama because you can play the one technique, two technique, three technique, four technique. He even lined up and cover the tight end as a sick technique uh, at the line of scrimmage. So again, while he doesn't have the pass rush consistency yet, just having the closing speed um, to go ahead and make plays at or near behind the line of scrimmage in rundowns is going to be a huge, huge indicator and push guys like Neil Farrell, Matthew Butler, who were drafted last year to kind of be that guy. So, yeah, uh, it's interesting, too, that you bring those two up because I feel like this is a year where they really have to prove themselves after kind of redshirting last year. Um, We did see, uh, you know, spurts of them on the field. What were your impressions of them and the moments that we were able to see? Let's start with Neil Farrell first on the field last year and where he really needs to develop this year to make an explosive kind of move into this roster. I, I still think in all honesty, if I'm being truthful, that he plays with a little bit of a high pad level. So I think he kind of gets out leveraged. Sometimes he gives his body up too much because when you're so upright like that and let's say there's a combo reach block up front, you're going to get sealed off by the center or the guard exchange. So again, you have to be able to play with a lower pad level in order so for you to stay on your grass. Um, and, and so in order for them to do that or for Matthew Butler or Neil Farrell to do that, you're going to have to learn to play with the lower pad level. So I think it all comes down to, again, it goes, comes back to the leverage game. And so with Neil Farrell specifically, mm-hmm. I think that's what I'm going to be looking for in training camp, right? There's things that I look for when evaluating the game film that I say, okay, going into year one to year two, what are some things for growth that I can see from a scouting evaluation standpoint? Now I'm not a scout, but I'm just saying things that anybody would look for if they watch enough game film. Um, th- that's one thing. And again, coach Carter would tell, would tell you this, that, you know, pad level is something that, you know, he needs to work on. So again, going into year two, now he's two years removed from playing under coach Carter. We're going to see if that pad level gets cleaned up. Now I heard he dropped a little bit of weight. Um, if that is the case, is there any drop off in production from a strength of point of attack standpoint, or is it going to be quicker off the ball? So again, the get off. So is it going to be a little bit more explosive without compromising the the, the speed aspect or the strength aspect of it, because again, you're playing at a lighter weight. How does that lighter weight function 
on the line, that's going to be something to watch as well. So um, when it comes to Neil Farrell and Matthew Butler, I'm really excited for these guys. Still high on both those guys. I think at the end of the day, Byron Young and drafting Nesta J. Silvera is only going to yeah. push those guys to be better. I wanted to get into Nesta J. Silvera just because of the years <laughs> he spent in Miami. I, I'm sorry. Defense is kind of my favorite thing to talk about. Just It is uh, more so than any other position on the field. I just like, especially with where the Raiders are in terms of growth right now in defense, like, you know, that this is a team that could be on the verge of something. Um, interesting was one of the things I talked about with Brian Baldinger before the draft was he was saying that his thought was like, maybe Patrick Graham is doing too much. Um, I know I kind of lumped in a couple of questions there. So you, you think about these younger guys coming in. With Nessa Jade Silvera, Byron Young, and how we just talked about Butler and Farrell, you know, is there some concern that working on some of Patrick Graham's sub defense and packages and things that constantly are in flux with this defense, between depending on your game situation, do you feel like there's a need for it to be slimmed down to kind of a smaller sample size of, of what we saw that's a little more simple, or do you think that every player that they got is ideally a person? that can figure out how to work through this defense and the packages and to understand it better enough to execute. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Heidi. I think in order to use the kiss method, which is keep it simple, yeah. stupid, <laughs> uh, you have to have the, the player and personnel to, in order to do that. Right. So if you have you guys, not you, but I mean like the nation needs to remember one thing, uh, you know, we all talk about an empire wasn't built in a day and that's true mm -hmm. with any cultural identity you're trying to build up. So in year one, when GM Day Ziegler came into town and coach McDaniels, they had a vision. What's the two to three year outlook, right? So again, they, it's like a game of Texas Hold'em. You're only dealt the whole cards. You can't ask the dealer for pocket aces all the time, right? So if you're, if you're <laughs> dealt a, you know, a, not, not a strong hand at first, um, you're going to have to kind of get your hand um, going in the right direction by bluffing or whatever the case may be. Um, but at the end of the day, what I see with with this regime is, look, they're bringing in guys who have a high football IQ, number one. That's number one. If you're not smart, you're not playing and you're not going to be on the Raiders roster. Why? Because going back to what you're saying is Coach Graham has a vision in wanting smart players, right? And I think getting a good sample size to pull from was at the Senior Bowl. Uh, I know when I was covering the Niners and the Niners were covering the Senior Bowl, they picked up a lot of guys and a lot of intel from that. So again, yeah. you're putting guys in positions to where, hey, can you do this or can't you do this, right? I mean, I think when you're getting to coach the senior bowl, you're getting an inside track on exactly how these players um, play and what makes them tick. Because at the end of the day, you're putting them in the positions that you think that you want in your scheme. And I think when they did the evaluation process and, and talking to all the scouts that were there, they they already had the legwork cut down for them. The, the question remained to be seen, hey, if we ask them to do X, Y, Z, can they do X, Y, and Z? Or can they just do X? And again, with, when it comes to Byron Young, Nesta Jade Silvera, they all play with a nonstop motor. They all have good effort. And they're very strong at the point of uh, attack. They can, And they're very scheme diverse, right? So again, they're not scheme to dependent. As I always say, they're scheme diverse. They, so they can play in a one-gap scheme or a two-gap scheme and hold their own there. So uh, with Nesta Jade Silvera, he played the zero, the one, and the three. Uh, most of the times and uh, a lot of times he was actually making sound plays even though he wasn't making plays and showing up in the box score right um Nessa Jade Silvera back to him uh just you know I, I hear a lot about his kind of bull rush when he comes out the way that he has power um his ability to kind of like you were talking about earlier to 
really leverage his weight against opponents. And I had been reading in a scout report how he would be so good at the first and, and second, um, first, second down situations, run down situations. What were your overall thoughts with him and uh, where he was drafted at being the uh, seventh round? Yeah, I, I know. Again, I was talking to some people around the league. Um, and, and they were telling me that Nesta Jade Silvera is one of those guys. And I, and you know, there's a friend of mine who's an AFCE scout and we talked about it because we always talk after the draft and, uh, he was telling me, he's like, Hey man, what are you, what are your thoughts on Nesta Jade Silvera? And I just basically pointed out, um, with you, what I thought about him, um, as far as a two gap or a one gap guy. And, and really here's a guy who, um, at the end of the day, he has a nonstop motor. So anytime you have the work ethic to be great, you know, your production will always be there but if you have the work ethic to be great that can kind of you know it's like extra bonus points right and so yeah. i think when you have a guy like that who really shows effort when the play is going away from the play like if you're making a, a strong a backside pursuit on a play 30 yards down the down the line of scrimmage and you're not even in the frame and yet you're still running your hardest i mean what does that say about nesta jade silvera's character um, so again, these are little things that you look for or what I look for when you evaluate in the game film. And, and again, I think Nesta Jade Silvera to me is not going to be one of those guys who's going to bring a pass rush presence, but yeah. he is going to be a strong guy on base down. So again, in goal line situational football, you're going to want him in that package, like inside the five yard line. You're going to want him on fourth and one. You're going to want him on fourth and three or fourth and two or fourth and inches because he just eats up a lot of space and he occupy a lot of blockers. And that frees up guys like divine Diablo, Luke Masterson, Robert Spillane and Darian Butler, who can take advantage of their speed. All right. Let's take a quick break right here. Get into some more of what the Raiders roster has to deliver. And as well as just a little bit of a looking at the opponents and the strength of schedule, the Raiders have ahead of them right when we come back here on the takeaways podcast. Locals know the STN sports app is the most trusted sports betting app in Nevada. They have convenient sign-up locations across Las Vegas. So download the STN Sports app today. Welcome back to the Takeaways edition of the Takeaways podcast. It's Heidi Fang, and I'm joined with Ryan Sakamoto, the Beast Rider. That's where you find them on Twitter as well. Ryan, we were just talking about all the defensive tackles. We, we talked uh, earlier on about Tyree Wilson. We talked about Michael Mayer. Who else was a standout pick, whether the addition to you was in the draft or in the undrafted free agent process for the Raiders? Was there somebody else that really caught your eye that you think can be an asset to this team going forward? Yeah, absolutely. There's two guys I want to bring to your attention. Um, both are safeties. One is Christopher Smith and the other one's Jaden Grant. Um, so let's start with Christopher Smith, right? They got him in the fifth round. And I know a lot of people are talking about Jacory and Bennett too, but I, I like Christopher Smith a little okay. bit more um, for a lot of different reasons. One, here's a guy who's very smart. Again, a very smart, tough, instinctive free safety. And he didn't have the fastest 40 time. Um, but what I saw in film was a 4-5-2, kind of a guy. And again, anytime you have a high football IQ playing on the back end and being the quarterback of the secondary, you can win with that. So he understands route concepts, pre to post snap. Um, he takes proper angles to the ball carrier and runs the port. And while he does lack top end speed, it didn't show up, like I said, when when running in space and and as a downhill, downhill tackler. So, you know, one game that I will point out is when I was grading the Tennessee game against Jalen Hyatt, a guy who the Raiders were, well, owner Mark Davis, um, Mr. Davis wanted to draft um, Jalen Hyatt. Um, he, he was a, a 4-3 guy. 
And anytime I saw Jalen Hyatt run a vertical and Christopher Smith was matched up one-on-one, he was not initially out of the play and he was always in the play. So what I mean by that is he might be in a slightly trail mode and might be only like a half a step behind. But again, that's a 4-3 guy. So again, what he ran at his pro day and at the combine does not match up to what I saw in film. So he's a very good safety. He lacks, he you know, he lacks ideal speed to play single high, but he makes it up with field awareness, leadership, and again, people often overlook the kicking game. I think he brings a nice kicking game aspect to his game on the third phase of this game. So he's going to make the 53-man roster. He's going to be a really good player for the Las Vegas Raiders down the road, and I wouldn't be surprised if he was the day one starter when it's all said and done. All right. As we look ahead to the schedule, they're going to have some tough opponents. I mean, I don't look at this schedule this year and see anybody. I keep saying schedule, but I should say opponents because uh, right now it is one thirty in the afternoon on Thursday, May 11th. The schedule officially will be released in a few hours, which is why we're doing more of a breakdown of the players. Um, we will have other Vegas nation podcasts this week. I should note on Friday releasing where they will give a full overview of the complete schedule for the Raiders. Right now I'm only working off leaks. Um, I have uh, from Vic Tafer on The Athletic. If you want to book your trip to Detroit, the Raiders are there for Monday Night Football in Week 8. And uh, also we know Monday Night Football game again, Week 5, that's uh, at home against the Packers. And Christmas will be held in Kansas City this year. So if you want to go get your uh, trip into Arrowhead, there you have it. Um, Those are just a few games that we know of, but... uh, as we look at the AFC, AFC West, AFC East opponents they're facing, they have uh, the Colts on the docket this year, Dolphins as well. You know, there's a lot of interesting builds, uh, you know, obviously I said AFC East. So, you know, there's just a little bit of uh, ideas of who, you know, this team is going to face, the Bears. Here I look at the away opponents and it's a lot different of a take than it used to be with Derek Carr because immediately, and I'm not going to, you know, pull any punches on this. A lot of people would look at the cold weather games and go, oh, you know, but now you're seeing a, a different team, how they would approach going into Buffalo, depending on the year. Uh, I mean, the month, excuse me. That should be interesting. Um, you know, Miami, depending on whether it's at the earlier part of the year where there's a ton of humidity, you know, how, to, how does that get handled? Uh other places not so concerned because you have domes and whatnot at soldier field, depending on the time of year could be interesting as well. Um, but aside from just weather and inclements and things like that, Ryan, when you look at the opponents, what do you see when you, when you hear bills, colds, you know, dolphins, Patriots, giants, Packers, jets, the, these teams are all on the way up. A lot of them are getting better. Like, you know, everyone anticipates the Raiders to be so um, just taking the opponents into mind and how they may have improved, what do you think is the best uh, options for, I mean, what do you think is the kind of rating one to 10 of how hard the schedule might be? It's like at a seven. I mean, if you look like, yeah, it's very, very difficult. I mean, you have games at home against the Jets, the Packers, the Patriots, Vikings, Steelers, and Giants. I mean, you can make a case that the Jets will be a playoff team. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, the Packers, obviously, with Jordan Love, they still they still can be a viable threat. Um, I think they're going to actually win that game, but uh, the Raiders, as in the Raiders, will win that game. I think they're going to beat the Patriots at home, 
Uh, Vikings at home. I'm not so sure about that one. I mean, that's another playoff team. Uh, Steelers. That's an overlooked team. I think Steelers are on the on the on the come up. Um, they're obviously their offensive line needs work, but they really retooled that offensive line. They got in guys like Mason Cole over the years. They just drafted Broderick Jones. So I mean, they're doing everything in their power to kind of solidify the offensive line for Kenny Pickett. And of course, they have weapons like George Pickens out there, Deontay Johnson, and a few other pieces there. So again, Najee Harris, of course, the running back. So I mean, they're really on the up and up. Um, and then the Giants, they're going to be in the playoffs. So that's just home games right there. They're going to be really tough for the Las Vegas Raiders. And then going away, I mean, the Bears, I think they're going to beat the Bears, obviously. But when you look at the Bills that you just mentioned, the Dolphins, the Lions, the Colts, all those can be potentially playoff teams. So it's going to be really difficult. Like, I, and, and that's not a knock on the Raiders, you know what I mean? And the Raiders are on the come up too. But at the end of the day, it's like, how much better are the Raiders than those teams that we just mentioned? You know what I mean? And what's the what's the... What's the pros and cons of when they match up, when they match up? Because, again, weather does have an issue in in playing these games. Aside from the AFC West, like, what does that look like? And, again, I think the over-under is like seven and a half. So, I honestly, as of right now, with barring no injuries, I have the Raiders winning eight to nine games. That's what I have. And I think that's a a successful season simply because of the strength of schedule that you pointed out. So, people have asked me, do I think – they will be a playoff team. I said, you know, I'm I'm never going to doubt the Raiders. I hope for the best. Obviously, I, you know, I want them to do well. But you know, in all honesty, I, I I as of right now, on May 11th, I see a eight to nine win team, and that's a win. I don't think that's a loss. I think that's that's a, actually a positive sign in the right direction. Right. I would agree with you and think like nine would be more so, even though it's just one more, just because it would put them over that 500 hump that they seem to have struggled with. And, uh, you know, outside of the playoff season with Rich Bisaccia, you know, I think this team has a lot of gelling to do. It felt like a lot of things came together right for the Raiders in that time that really helped propel them into becoming a playoff team, even though it was one and done for them. It's still a possibility if they can click and get hot at the right time. You just never know in this league if, you know, somebody else that's a key component of another team is is injured and, you know, they're playing um, teams that may not have it all together. Like we were saying, like, oh, maybe the Lions, you know, for instance, maybe that team isn't what it was last year in this year. Maybe they struggle. You know, who knows? It's just it's the thing about the NFL and the beauty of it that we all love is you just never know week to week what can happen, what can go your way, what won't. But um, as you look to Josh McDaniels and the pressure that could lie on him this coming year, you know, what do you anticipate to for him as a coach that how he comes out? Like, do you think that he might kind of change up anything that he was doing? Do you think he stays the course and just tries to really strengthen whatever type of chemistry and whatever type of relationships he had within this locker room and and how he worked with the players to really kind of help make it gel because I think what was beautiful about Rich Passaccia was he had that synergy with the players and he was able to really get them to bond at the right time and come together at the right time. And he was quite a motivator with the team. And of course, every coach is different, right? And has their own style. Have you kind of figured out what that is for McDaniels and how he might carry that, whatever that is, that persona into this year? Yeah, I think you you hit on the nail, and I I never been around Coach Basaccia, um, but I heard nothing but great things about him. So, um, you know, coming from a coaching perspective, because I coached, I I think every coach, like you said, Heidi, 
brings their own coaching style. And I think one thing that from a coaching dynamic that people need to take full account of is because of that coaching style, if you listen to too many voices and not your own, that's where the downfall comes into play. So I'm all a firm believer in trusting the process and doing what you feel. Doesn't matter what you think, I think, or anyone else thinks in the media. What you feel is best for the football team. And in your, and then you're going to live and die by those results. I think Coach McDonald's is a great coach. I'm one of the few who think he's one of the top coaches in the NFL. All right? Like, I'm one of the few. I will also say I think that Coach McDaniels is very demanding of his players, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a really good thing because now you're setting the bar and testing a player's passion for the game because if you're not passionate about the game, you're not going to be playing for the Las Vegas Raiders, period. And so if you want people who are hungry, have an unquestioned work ethic, will have a do-or-die attitude, will do whatever it takes to help the team win and be unselfish in your own grind, in your own ego – Again, the iron sharpens iron mentality will shine through. At the end of the day, let's face it, not everyone is going to buy into that. We talked about it with Devontae Adams midseason where it was leaked that players weren't buying into the program. And Devontae Adams says, hey, look, man, like if you're not buying in, you're not going to be here. And we saw it with some of the players who aren't who aren't here. So, you know, buy into the program or don't buy in. But the choice is yours. At the end of the day, I think Coach McDaniels is doing whatever he believes. And and again, it goes you talk about synergy, him and GM Dave Ziegler are really good friends. And they also have a very strong bond from a GM head coaching dynamic. And I think that is rare in today's NFL. So when you have two guys who actually share the same vision and have a clear line of communication of that vision, that is something that is a positive, not necessarily a negative. So going into the 2023 season, I think nation should be optimistic that the team is going to be a lot better than what it was from a year ago. But to have Super Bowl aspirations or saying Coach McDaniels should be fired after a nine-win season, as we as you predicted, and I said eight to nine wins, I think that would be wrong. I, I don't think you fire a guy after an eight to nine-win season. I just I just think based on the schedule and what other teams are doing around the league, again, at the end of the day, how was this team being built up? Because an empire wasn't built in a day. Yeah, yeah. Big, big facts right there. Uh, lastly, Ryan, what is your bold prediction for the Raiders upcoming 2023 season? I know you're about those beast receipts. Tell me what you got. Let's put a stamp on it. Oh man. I know you're going to put me on the spot like this. All right. Ah, um, well, I already made you kind of guess the record. So I guess we could use that. <laughs> uh, I mean, bold one, I guess we have to go offense. Cause everyone likes offense. Um, you know what? I'm going to go defense. I'm going to cuz you like defense, I love defense. I'm going to go defense. I'm going to say that and I already gave a gave a grade of a C, but I think Tyree Wilson's ceiling is through the roof. I think Tyree Wilson will be the NFL leader, rookie leader in terms of sacks. I already said 6 to 8 sacks, but I think a bold prediction would be 10 plus. So I think Tyree Wilson puts up 10 plus sacks in 2023. Okay. I like it. I like that. Bold prediction. Get that foot healthy. We'll see how it all comes together once training camp begins. I have to thank you very much for coming on today, Ryan. I appreciate your time very much. Uh, I look forward to all the things you have coming with uh, your podcast and all the things that you do online as well. You want to tell everybody where to find you and what to look for? 
Yeah, you can find me on YouTube. Uh, that's probably my number platform there. That's where I write my articles, respond to you guys' questions, and, and really where social media engagement is encouraged. So again, YouTube, um, I'm on, on YouTube. I've uh, been doing that with the 49ers as well. It's at Beast Rider. So same handle as Twitter and Instagram, at Beast Rider. So B-E-A-S-T-W-R-I-T-E-R. And again, everybody's welcome here um, and on the community up on YouTube. So again, I'm trying to build the community um one DLB member at a time, which is Dark Side of Beast Rider. And uh, it's been good vibes only. So again, if you want to have a voice, I give you that platform to have that voice because I think everyone should have a voice. And uh, it's just one of those things that I've always done. And I like giving back to the community that I'm in. Well, thank you again so much. We look forward to all of that you have coming out, all the content. And we will have everything here with you as well on VegasNation.com throughout the schedule release and more. So keep up with all of our podcasts by hitting subscribe. And we are brought to you by Station Casinos, STN Sports. Download that app today. Thank you, everybody, so much for your time. For Ryan Sakamoto, I'm Heidi Fang. Thank you so much for checking in with us. Vegas Nation is sponsored by Station Casinos STN Sports. Download the app today and get a bonus up to $100 when you sign up.